These first couple of Sundays here in January, the goal is to kind of reorient a little bit. It's the beginning of a new year. It's that opportunity where we're making resolutions. We're thinking about uh, the start. Uh, Many of us are looking for perhaps a fresh beginning. We have new things that we want to try and and things we want to, you know, as Colossians 3 says, we want to put off some things. We want to put on other things, right? And so that's what we're doing as we think about um, some of these different passages. This morning, we're, we're kind of parachuting right into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's an extended sermon that Jesus gave, begins back at the beginning of chapter 5 with a section on the Beatitudes. And we are coming right behind that section on the Beatitudes and this section where Jesus talks about us being both salt and light. And I think there are are several things that we can learn from this passage. The first thing is that we can learn about the world in which we live, that Jesus tells us about more as a presupposition than anything. The second thing is we learn about our calling, what it is that we are called to be in the world. The third thing that you'll see in this passage is our struggles. We learn about the struggle that we have. We learn about this problem of not being salt and not being light that we have. And we're going to talk about a few ways in which we inadvertently perhaps do that. And then we're going to talk about what does it all mean as we look at our overall purpose. So let's talk first. Let's look at what Jesus is telling us in this underlying proposition about the world that we live in. When Jesus says that we are salt and we are light, he is telling us that the world is a world that needs heavenly influence. The world that we live in is dark, and it needs the heavenly influence of Christians. We have that ability. We have that ability as salt and as light to go out into the world and to influence the world. You think about salt. Salt is and was used, we use salt in a totally different way today um, on our dinner tables. Is we take salt and we use it to flavor food, to help food kind of come alive. Um, now, we're still using salt the way it's always been used as well. I mean, just go grab a can of Hormel chili and open that sucker up and look at the label, and I guarantee you, sorry, buddy, but one of the number one ingredients in there is going to be salt, right? Because that can's intended to sit on your shelf for a little while before you eat it. And so it's a preservative. It acts as a preservative. Now, they got wonderful low-sodium chili now. Any of your canned goods... But in the old days, back when Jesus was living, salt was a preservative. That was really the only way it was used, was to preserve their food. And so Jesus here is telling us that we are like salt, not in that we make things taste good, but we are like salt in that we help preserve. And so what is he telling us about the underlying nature of the world that we live in when he tells us we're a preservative? He's telling us that the world is spoiling. The world is going bad. And you and I are an influence 
in the world in that as we go out there, we act like salt, that agent that helps keep the world from rotting, from spoilage. In the same way, you and I are light in the world, okay? And when he tells us that we are the light of the world, that we go into this world and that we bring light, he's telling us what? He's telling us that the world is a dark place. It's a place that needs the light of gospel hope shining in it. And light, in that sense, um, keeps the world, it, it, it adds to make, make it safe. It's a safe place. It's a place in which people thrive and flourish. Um, and so that's how we go out into the world in which we live. We go out into a dark and decaying place and we bring light to it and we bring a preserving nature to it. We shine in the dark world in which we live. You know, you, you just think about the way in which um, light, you know, we, we take street lights and we put them up and we do all of that in order to keep the darkness at bay. Because as my dad always says, uh, nothing good happens after the sun goes down. All right. Um, you may have heard it said nothing good happens after midnight. And that's true. Um, and so the world is a dark place. You and I go out into the world and we bring the light of the gospel to it. Now, here's the pivotal point, though. How do we do that? How are we a preservative? How do we bring light to the darkness of the world? And that's our challenge, because what many are telling us is what we've got to do is we've got to go, we've got to march, we've got to, we, we've, we've got to demand our rights, we, we've got to do all of these sorts of things. When, and what really needs to happen, I think, and Jesus displayed this for us, right, is we need to love the world. We need to love the people in the world. We don't love the ways of the world, we don't love their ideals, but we love the people of the world. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus came into this world not to demand his rights, but to lay down his life. For who? For those who would persecute him. And then he told us, I am setting you an example. Go and do as I have done for you, right? The, the very last night as he's there with his disciples in the upper room, he washes their feet and he says, now go do this to one another. And do this out into the world. Serve them. Minister to them. Care for them. Jesus didn't march. He didn't demand his rights. Instead, he prayed for those who would persecute him. And he died for them. This is a good spot right here. To maybe utter those words that we do every now and then when, you know, kind of like we want to cross ourselves or something. We say, there, but by the grace of God, go I. And we kind of do it condescendingly sometimes. Well, that poor fella. I'd be there if it wasn't for God's grace in my life. Wow. Do do we really mean that? It's so very true. You and I, without the grace of God, without Him having been the initial mover, that's exactly where we would be. And so we first learn, as if we didn't already know, that the world is a difficult place. The world is a dark and spoiling place. And He has put us there. He has put us in the world 
that we may influence it for the kingdom. How? This is where our calling comes in. This is our second point. Our calling is to go out there, to be a preservative, and to shine the gospel truth. So he is calling us to be influencers in the world. He is calling us to go out and to show the world how it's done. There's a story about Woodrow Wilson that was told. He went into a barber shop, and this is his own account. He says, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut, and he sat in the chair next to me. And every word the man uttered was not the least didactic. He showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposefully lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barber shop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. Influence. We are called to go into the world and to be influencers. Now, it begins right here. Several years ago, there's a guy named Mark Driscoll. <coughs> and Mark Driscoll identified, he took his congregation, he broke the congregation, and he said, Every congregation is this way. They have within them positives, negatives, and neutrals. He said, and you can look around. He's writing primarily to pastors. He said, you can look around your congregation and you know who the positives are. Why? Because the positives are, they're together and they're generating positive things in your congregation. And then there are those negatives. And those negatives tend to be a little negative. And they're pulling down on the congregation and they pull down on people and they drain people and they suck life and energy out of a congregation. And then there are those neutrals. And those neutrals are waiting around to see what? Which way things go. And then they're going to go there. Right? Now that's in a congregation. You and I are that way in a congregation, but then we're also that way out in the world. And so this example that Woodrow Wilson gave was here was Dwight L. Moody. He came in to do what? To get his hair cut. And he said as he sat there and he listened, and then as, as Moody left the barbershop, he listened the way they talked. And what had Moody done? He had elevated the entire conversation. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I don't always elevate the conversation. That's a very challenging thing to do. But isn't that what Christ is asking of us? Isn't that what he's saying? You are the light of the world. You're an influencer. Go into the world and influence. And here's the reality. Just as if we will all worship something, we will all be influencers one way or another. And so this morning you can ask yourself, am I a positive, a negative, or a neutral? What am I? Father, what have you... And then ask yourself this, what should I be? What should I be out in this congregation and out in this world? Now there's two parts here in this passage right there. Jesus says, 
You are salt and light. And as he says that, I want you to notice he's actually saying this. You are the salt of the earth. It's emphatic. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In other words, the world, dark and decaying as it is, has one hope. You know who that hope is? You and me. Bearing the light of Christ out in the world. We are the hope of the world. That's why he says you are the salt. You are the light. You are the opportunity for the world to see and know the goodness of Christ. Here's the other part. He is also, when he says you, you, it's plural. So if he were a southerner, what would he say? Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. Right? What's he referring to? Well, he's referring to the church. Because Jesus said, I will build what? Not government. Not the United States of America. Not any other country. Not any other institution. Jesus said, I will build one institution, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Jesus here is talking to us collectively, the body of Christ. This is tremendously encouraging, okay? I hope you sense this, because when he says, y'all are the light of the world, think about the pressure that would be on each and every one of you if he were saying to you, you're the light of the world. You, now go out there and suck it up. Shine brightly. You're the salt of the earth. Go out there and be a preservative. Instead, what he's saying is, y'all go out there and shine brightly. Listen, he, he never draws you in so that you would be an island unto yourself. He brings you in and He brings us into community, into fellowship with one another. That's why church is so important. Can you worship in a deer stand on Sunday morning? Absolutely. Is that going to be any good for you? No. Why? Because He intended to draw you in with other people, to put you in contact with people just like you, who will love you and encourage you and support you and use their gifts in your life just like you use your gifts in their life. And that's why this fellowship is so important. That's why being here, as you come here, you are good for us. And you are good for one another. Because those gifts are all working and they're building us. And we together collectively, yes, we go out into the world and we do things and there isn't always someone by your side. But they are by your side. They are there. They, they can be called on. They are your great, strong supports. Because we're the body of Christ. Because we live together. We breathe together. When one part of the body aches, we all ache. When one part of the body grieves, we all grieve. When one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. And that's the way that He created us. Here's the third thing, and we'll move quickly through the last two points. Jesus says, but what? What 
But what if the salt loses its saltiness? Then what? If salt doesn't taste like salt, what's it good for? Jesus says nothing except to be thrown out. Now he's referring to a common practice because back then they didn't have all the refining techniques that we have. And so they would have salt that they would get from the ground and it would have all, some of it would be not as pure as other parts of it. It would have all sorts of other bad things in it. And so they would take it and they would throw it out and they would, it would get thrown on the path and be trampled underfoot. And, and that's, it. that's it. No one would think about it anymore. Because it would, lose, it would lose its ability to do what it was intended to do, and that is be a preservative. And so Jesus says, if you lose your saltiness, or if you take, I mean, who would take their light and put it under a bushel? And he says, no one. No one lights a candle and then hides it. Neither should you. How do we do that? How does that happen for us? And there's a couple of ways. Two, I'll just give you two. First, We diminish our influence in the world when our lives don't reflect the gospel. Now here's, this is a little tricky, okay? Because oftentimes what we think is, okay, I'm going to be a light to the world, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to demand everybody follow those Ten Commandments. And that'll be a light to the world. Let me ask you a question. Had the Ten Commandments ever saved anyone I hope that's not a trick question because the answer is no. The Ten Commandments were intended to direct your attention to your greatest need, and that is the need for something other than yourself to save you. Because you cannot follow the Ten Commandments. And so our message to the world isn't, hey, here's Ten Commandments. You better follow these or you're going to hell. That's not our message to the world. Our message to the world is there is a Savior who loves you, right? And it's to come alongside. It is to bear witness to the gospel in our lives. And how do we bear witness to the, to the gospel? It isn't by saying, hey, look at me and how grand I am and how good I've done. And look at all of the things I've, I've accomplished. Just go read Paul in Philippians 3. He says, all of these things I had to my credit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ who died for me, right? So that's not the message. The message to the world is I am a sinner in need of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how amazing, amazingly disarming that is, a message to someone who thinks you think you have it all together when you acknowledge to them you don't? And that your only hope is the same as their only hope. And that is Christ and Him crucified. So we diminish our influence when we go and demand of the world what they cannot possibly ever do. The second thing is we diminish our influence when we don't mingle with the world. So when we form what I call a holy huddle, or we play the Jesus card all the time incessantly when we don't go out into the world and love the world. The very last part 
of this passage. Remember verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your, shine, let your light shine before men that they may see your what good deeds. So they've got to see. We've got to be in the world. We've got to be loving them. This morning's a perfect opportunity to talk about that because we're Sanctity of Life Sunday. What are, the, what are the biggies? You work your way through the Bible. What are the things that the people of God are called to do in the world around them? They're not difficult. They're not terribly challenging. They're not hard. We're called to love orphans, look after widows, seek justice for the oppressed, care for the poor, tend to the needs of those around us. We want to show the world the love of Christ. There's a, that's a very easy list for us to begin to engage in. Personally and corporately as the church. Sometimes we withdraw. We think that coming here and doing what we're doing this morning. Listen, this morning is just preparation for the week ahead of you. That is all this is. This is covenant renewal time because you're going back into the world. And we want to go back in the world with our minds focused, our hearts renewed, with our eyes fixed on Christ, our hearts and everything about us. Here's the last point. We learn about the purpose of it all in verse 16. Why? To glorify God. Why are we the salt of the earth? Why do we go and love orphans and take care of widows and care for the poor and the needy and the oppressed and the one that is seeking justice? Why? For His glory. So that they will see and know our Father in heaven. Our shorter catechism starts it well. What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning for the opportunity to pause, to think about our calling. We would be salt and light, carrying the gospel hope of the Lord Jesus into the world. Father, we have no hope save that of Christ Jesus. Give us a voice in this world as we take that hope to a dying world, to a decaying world, to a dark place. Father, let Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church shine brightly. Let it be a beacon of hope. Let us never forget why you have called us out of darkness and into your light, that we may shine in the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name.